0: Today we're going to be completing, can you pull me down just a little bit, I'm a little boomy, there we go. We're going to be completing our sermon series on Ephesians, a sermon series that was entitled "Who Who Am I? Who Am I? Trying to find our identity in Christ. We've been examining who we are in Christ and our role in the body of Christ, our families, our role in our culture, and our role in the world. The church stands in stark contrast to our culture. It did when Ephesians was first written, and it does today. And as, as such, we are at odds with our culture and our, and our world. We're basically at war. We're, we're in a spiritual struggle. If anyone doubts we're at war, just read, read the news, watch news reports, different channels telling the same news from different world views and values. And on the surface, it appears that we are dealing with political wars, or wars of ideas, or culture wars, or value wars. Wars over traditional marriage, abortion, women's rights, sexual identity, socialism versus capitalism, immigration, gun rights. You can go on and on about the the various battles that we're in the middle of today. And even though this warfare works its way out in the realm of ideas and politics and values and rights, the real battle is in the invisible. It's an invisible war. It's a, it's a spiritual war. Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Well, you can't see any of those. 1 Peter eight says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a lion, <clears throat> looking for someone to devour there is a war. We have an opponent, the devil, or Satan. Now, God is all-powerful and God is sovereign, but Satan has an obvious influence and a powerful presence in our world. What does God allow Satan to do, and what are the indications of spiritual attack that he's loose? In other words, how do we know the devil's responsible? That's the question. And what are our weapons? What do we fight back with? What do we fight with? What do we have in our arsenal to fight in the heavenly realm? Now, some people deny that Satan has any power at all, or they try to minimize his role in history and the affairs of people. Some deny that Satan exists at all. And the Bible teaches us to worship God, but to be aware of Satan. Worship God, but be aware of Satan. Satan. And as we complete this series on Ephesians, I want you to be warned, as we learn more and more and practice our God-given responsibilities and the gifts that God has given each and every one of us, the enemy will become angry and may even attack you personally. So just be ready for that. Be ready for that. We looked at Ephesians 6 about a year and a half ago at, as we looked at spiritual warfare, and we're going to complete Ephesians today with Ephesians 6. And if you want to turn and look at it in the Bible, it ran the rock in front of you. It's on page 950. 950, we're going to start with verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil With which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert always, keep on praying for all the saints. We start by looking at the struggle. There are some descriptors that talk about our struggle. It says, finally, verse 10. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And be strong isn't this suggestion or this option. Or it's, it's a command. It's in a command form. He says, be strong. Two qualifiers to being strong. Number one, in the Lord and in his mighty power. So the command to be strong has a power source. If it was up to us, we'd be in deep trouble. But he says, be strong in the Lord, in the power, his mighty power. Depend on God's power and his strength. Then Paul uses the word struggle. Struggle. The word struggle comes from the root word to wrestle. How many of you did wrestling in school? Background. Did wrestling? Oh, I don't mess with wrestlers. You guys, you guys are, yeah, it's crazy. Wrestlers. See, you know what it's like to, to wrestle. Wrestling is a hands-on contest between two opponents until one wins. As such, wrestling is, first of all, it's personal. It's very personal. It's a personal fight, one-on-one. It's not a group fight. It's a a one-on-one battle. Every one of us has a wrestling match, a struggle. That's what he says. You have a struggle. I'm glad to know I'm not the only one. It's personal. It's universal. It's common to every one of us. All of us have this struggle or this wrestling match. It's also spiritual, letter B. The word against, the word against is used five times in one verse. Five times in verse 12, against. And he says it's not against flesh and blood. It's not against the visible. It's not against what we can see. And it's important to know what we are not fighting. Even all the evil we see around us is just the external manifestation of an inner evil. We cannot fight spiritual battles with flesh and blood Weapons. Now, I have a good friend who's very involved in the pro-life movement here. And not only does he, does he raise money for pro-life groups, he does all kinds of things. He also pickets at the Planned Parenthood and prays outside the Planned Parenthood clinic on a consistent basis, at least once a week. He's actively ga- engaged in, in the battles for truth and righteousness in the visible realm. And, and it's important that we call attention to evil by different methods. These are protected expressions of free speech. But we must recognize, even as we do that, that the real battle is in the spiritual. And there must be spiritual weapons that energize this battle in the spiritual realm. Prayer. The weapons have to match the, the battle We cannot successfully, successfully fight same-sex marriage in the, in the flesh and blood. We can't fight abortion or, or sex trafficking in the physical realm alone. There's a place for action in the physical, political, idea, and educational realms. And we ought to be engaged in that. But the battle is not in the flesh and blood. And so our weapons must match the battle. It appears as if our battle is physical, when in reality it's spiritual. That's why the answer to conflicts in marriage, for instance, it's always spiritual in nature. Marriages are deeply handicapped without Jesus Christ because the root causes of conflict are always spiritual in nature. And both spouses must understand and work on the spiritual nature of the marriage in order for the marriage to work. So our struggle is, first of all, it's personal Every one of us has it. It's spiritual. And it's also, let us see, it's to the death. It's to the death. Those of you that wrestled know that when you have a wrestling match, you get points for a, a takedown, a reverse, an escape, a near pin. And then if you pin your opponent, you win outright. And the, at the end of the designated time period, one wins and one loses. Okay? That's the way of wrestling, a struggle matches in wrestling. And then everyone goes home. Right? You win or lose, you go home. Well, this spiritual struggle we are in is a struggle to the death. To the death. Our opponent, Satan, will not give up or quit fighting until he takes us out. He wants to take you out. It's important that we understand the ruthless nature of Satan and that he wants to take you out. And it this wrestling match literally goes on our whole life until we die spiritually or until we end our life physically and we, and we end up dying. Our struggle is over at that point. It's to the death. It's a real life struggle that every one of us will always have. Who are the opponents? Okay, that's the struggle. That's the battle. This personal battle all of us have. Our opponents, Paul uses several terms to describe the opponents, the devil and his demons, most probably have to do with the locus or the location of their influence. The first one is, is called rulers. Letter A is rulers. The rulers of this world, which is the name for the devil and his fallen angels. In Job 1 7, it says, The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. If you study the, the history of Satan, as we understand it scripturally, basically Satan was one of the angels, the, one of the top angels or the top angel in heaven. He became proud and decided he wanted to be God. God threw him down and about a third of the angels went down with him and they're, they're on the earth, they're restricted to the earth. And Satan told, Satan, Satan told God at this point, he says, I've been roaming through the earth and going back and forth because Satan, you see, Satan is alive and well on earth. God works through people, and Satan works through people. And rulers, the word rulers, has to do with exerting opinion or will over other people. And Satan gets access to the earth by asserting his influence over leaders who rule. Leaders who rule. Any institution where decisions are made, Satan will seek to infiltrate or take over. And you look at it all around us, whether it's a national government, he'll infiltrate national government, state government or county, our schools, our families, any institution where people are leading, he will seek the influence through people who allow him influence and control. And you can look at one of the the most classic examples today still is North Korea, Kim Jong-un. The epitome of evil and corruption, total control and subjugation of an entire nation. Persecution, mass incarceration, mass murder. We see elements of that obviously in China today with all the kinds of things that are happening. Rulers under satanic influence are not hard to find today. We saw it with the ISIS or the Taliban. We see it in Russia. We see it in China. We see it in Venezuela. Rulers under satanic influence, the godless corrupt decision-making through wrong and selfish choices by men and women If institutions work properly, Satan cannot rule. There's no authority or submission to authority. If that happens, Satan rules. Dean Sherman says the degree to which these institutions break down is the degree to which he, Satan, governs. It's easy to understand why marriages, families, churches, and schools are under such vicious attack today. Because if he can get that ruler on his side, they wreak all kinds of havoc to those that are followers. There are three ways these institutions break down in the area of ruling. First one is godless leadership. Godless leadership. These leaders give in to satanic influence in the absence of God and godliness and righteousness. And we, we've seen classic examples of that where the governor Northam of Virginia or Bill de Blasio, the mayor of New York City, celebrated infanticide. They celebrated the, the, the termination of of a life after birth. That's godless leadership, and it wreaks havoc. Then there are leaders who don't lead. It can be neglect. Husbands who don't husband, parents who don't parent. Neglecting leadership leaves a vacuum to rulers to influence the world. A.W. Tozer said, if evangelical Christianity, Christianity, and he gives this challenge to leaders, particularly in the home men. If evangelical Christianity is to stay alive, she must have men again, the right kind of men. She must repudiate the weaklings who dare not speak out. She must seek in prayer and much humility the coming again of men of the stuff prophets and martyrs are made of. Call, a call for men to step into the gap and be leaders. Neglect leaves a vacuum that will be filled. The third way institutions break down is rebellion. Rebellion. Rebellion is the hard attitude that says, "I don't need rules. I don't need leaders. I don't need anyone telling me what to do. I don't need any anyone telling me what to do." Rebellion is equated with witchcraft in First Samuel. Why? Because rebellion allows Satan to enter in and influence. Because if you're not under God's influence, then you're under Satan's influence, and rebellion against God puts us directly under the influence of the enemy. Dean Sherman says rebellion and witchcraft accomplish the same thing in governmental structures and individual lives. They both do business directly with the powers of darkness. And we see rebellion and the consequences of that. The, the shocking thing is watching, watching governors and mayors and other people ignoring laws and establishing places like sanctuary cities, Seattle, Portland, San Francisco, L.A., lawlessness reigns if you don't enforce the law. If you're in rebellion, there are, there are, la- there are national laws that are to be, to be held, and they just ignored that. I am shocked at how in three years, the progressive, lawless people in Seattle have totally destroyed that city. It's the most beautiful, if you've ever been to Seattle, it's one of the most beautiful cities in the world. They're destroying it because of lawlessness. Well, when you have lawlessness, what happens? Satan comes in and wreaks havoc. Everything you can imagine happening in our cities and other parts of our country. So rulers, it's critical that we understand those are rulers. The second opponent Paul names is the authorities. The Authorities, or another word used as powers, powers. Satan is active in our society to the degree that people are sinning and living selfishly. He has exactly the amount of authority that we give him when we live in opposition to God. Dean Sherman says a city or even a country can collectively give itself over to lust or other sins because of the concentration of thousands of individual choices in that place, a power assignment to those particular sins is established. That's why we can look at a city that can be called the capital of pornography or the San Francisco, the capital of sexual perversion. A city known for occultic activities like New Orleans or Las Vegas, the center of gambling, greed, or addiction. Power assignments by spiritual authorities can make their way into families when families give way to particular sins. Even churches, churches, we're not immune from this. If churches don't deal with sin, a particular church can be given over to one particular sin. When we went to Seattle, that church, we found out, we knew some of it, we found out later, there was immorality that had went back 20 years in the leadership. Didn't know about it. It was a mess. It was a mess. Might be immorality, could be pornography, could be materialism, could be gossip, Gossip is the single most destructive sin in the church ever. Because we justify it, we hide it, we spiritualize it, we do whatever. Division, strife, authorities. We give over to power in certain sins. The third phrase that he talks about are the powers of this dark world or principalities. Um, A prince is a leader with a title... Apality has to do with both geography and demography. So when he's talking about principalities, he's talking about demographics and geographics. Satan is strategic when he deploys, deploys his demonic forces. demographic, certain plans for certain people groups, geographic plans for certain areas. And you look around at nations, regions, cities, precincts, neighborhoods, and you see there are certain sins that predominate in those areas. Those are Principalities. And then letter D, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. These are demons to be contrasted with spiritual forces of good in the heavenly realms or God's angels. And angels are real too, just so you know. So our struggle, our battle to the death is not against flesh and blood. Therefore, what are the rules of engagement? How do we fight this struggle? What's this war? In verse 13, Paul says, therefore because of all this that goes for, you know he shows this thing and, and this, you look at the, the, the bleak picture and you say what in the world this is this is awful but he says because of that he said there's an action we take he says therefore whenever there's a therefore in the Bible you ask what's the therefore therefore it's always something that was said before therefore this is what past comes next he says therefore put on the full armor of God put on the Full armor of God. This is an action we take now every day when we get up. At least before you leave the house, we get dressed. Okay, we get dressed, Um, and we put on clothes. Getting dressed doesn't just happen. We teach our children how to dress themselves, how to put on their clothes, buckle their belt, how how to tie their shoes. How many of you remember when you learned to tie your shoes? Remember that? Yeah, it's, it's a big deal. Now, now they have Velcro. That's cheating. But, but at that point, we all learned how to, how to tie our shoes. Get dressed. It's an action we take every day. It's a discipline, and we don't think anything of it. We just get dressed. Well, when the day of evil comes, which is every day, he says, get dressed. Put on your battle gear. I remember during the Iraq War when there was a threat of chemical weapons, how the troops put on their chemical uh, protection suits every day before they went out. Into the field. Law enforcement, which we've seen a lot of in the last nine months, law enforcement, depending on the situation, put on their bulletproof vests, their helmets, and and their riot gear. They put on their armor so that when attacked, they can be protected and they can stand their ground. Our battle is different. So, what is our armor? What is our armor? We need to move to what is our armor? The first one letter A our armor is truth. That's our belt. The belt of truth, belt upon which all other armor rests. This realm of idea and battleground in the mind. And if we don't have truth, we got our armor is not going to stay on. Got to start with truth. Huge battle today. And truth is based on facts, not feelings. And that's a huge, huge battle. They're trying to cancel out those kinds of things. It's like, I feel this way. Gender has to do with truth and fact and science. It tells us we're male or female. It's determined at conception and established at birth. No argument. They're trying to say, well, I feel this way. It doesn't matter. It's truth. Truth says we have two genders, male and female. Sexual identity... Truth and fact and science tells us there is no such thing as, and this is, going to, this is going to make some people mad, there's no such thing as sexual orientation. It's only gender. Sexual orientation is a recent, in the last 20 years, a recent construct to justify perverted behavior, to say, I was made this way. It's my orientation. Now, there is sin orientation, and all of us have Sin orientation says for all of sin to fall short of the glory of God. There is no reason for any of us to be arrogant or say, I'm not, I don't have sin. But there are certain sins that we justify and say, well, that's just how we were made. We were all made to be sinners. That does, doesn't justify going out and robbing somebody, going out and hurting somebody, or perverting my sexual person, my gender. There, it's, it's all sin. But there are only a couple things that we say it's okay because we were made that way we were all made as sinners okay that levels a playing field but this whole argument of sexual orientation which is taken to, to transgenderism all kinds of nonsense it all started with accepting that it's how i feel no there's truth there's truth truth the fact the bible tells us that we all have sin none of us are righteous we all need jesus to forgive us our sins and to deliver us from our sin orientation. It's critical that we as believers understand this concept because it's foundational. We had communion today. Why was that necessary? Because we all have sin orientation. That's why Jesus came to die for us. No room for pride, no room for arrogance, no room for judgmentalism, only room for humility before God and say, God, thank you that you loved me and died for me, a sinner. If we begin with truth, we can fight the true battle. If we don't, the battle is already, already lost. Truth is called relative. I have my truth, you have yours. It's just crazy. There's the, a huge, huge issue with, with cancel culture and censorship. We have friends that, that grew up in either, behind the Iron Curtain, whether it was in Poland or, or Romania, um, or uh, Bulgaria they are astounded they said communism started with censorship that we're seeing today in America anything that we disagree with or find offensive we just censor it so mass media social media they just censor they removed you know we talked about that a couple weeks ago it's, it's frightening because what you do then is you remove truth you make your own truth Anything that doesn't fit my construct of truth, I get rid of. It's not PC, you know. There is truth, there's absolute truth. And the Word of God, the Bible, it sets up right and wrong standards of relationship behavior in the Ten Commandments, personal truth and integrity. And we have absolutely no way to hold our armor on if we don't have Truth. So put on your belt of truth every day. Truth. The second piece of armor is righteousness. Righteousness. This is compared to like a flak vest. A flak vest. Or breastplate. Bulletproof vest. Righteousness means right relationship with God. Right relationship with God. Now there are two dimensions of this. The first one is r- the righteousness of, of Jesus upon salvation. When we... Come to Jesus, we confess our sins, ask him to forgive us our sins, accept Jesus' sacrifice is the only way to pay for them. And we believe and we place our trust in Jesus and his work alone. Ask him to take charge. We become born again. And the Bible tells us we are then justified. Justified means not guilty. Not guilty. Just as if you've never sinned. Then we're clothed in the righteousness of God. Then we are righteous before God. This righteousness is available to anyone and everyone. Not on the basis of what we've done, but on the basis of what Jesus did. Celebrating communion. Jesus died, paid for our sins. Because of what he did, we can have that forgiveness and have righteousness. And let me just say something, because some of us say, I don't think God can ever forgive my sin, or this sin, or that sin. There is no sin that you could ever commit that would disqualify you from forgiveness by God. There's no sin says, I forgive all sin. So that's part of the righteousness, is that righteousness. And then there's something called holy living, which is now. If you want to leave a gaping hole in your armor, then neglect righteous living now, or holiness. Now, holiness is internal, not external. We can't measure it by what we see. It's not, I don't do this and I don't do that, and therefore I'm holy I'm righteous. That's not holiness, that's legalism. It's like the guy says, I'm a great husband because I don't beat my wife. Is that our standard? I'm a great husband because I don't cheat on my wife. Is that my standard of being a great husband, what I don't do? No. Some have the attitude, how much can I get away with and still be a Christian? Do we practice that in marriage? How much can I do and still remain married? That's absurd. We we don't think that way. Of course not. The goal of marriage relationship is to see how close we can grow to our spouse. It's not how much can I get away with and still be married. But some people approach their relationship with God that way. How much can I get away with and still be a Christian? No. It's how close can I get to God? That's what holiness is about. How close can I get to God? Righteousness, right relationship with God. Then there's a, an offensive weapon, the gospel of peace, letter C. The gospel of peace weapon is our, our, our Reeboks, our, our running shoes, ready to run, ready for action, sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. The best defense is a great offense. I guess that's, that's what we'd say. If we want to fight the enemy win people to our side, to embrace Jesus Christ. When people embrace the Christian faith and receive Jesus, hearts are changed, whole families change, cities change, cultures change. If you studied anything about historical revivals, one of the most remarkable ones was the Welsh Revival in Wales. When people started sharing their faith, the Holy Spirit came down, and so many people came to faith in Jesus Christ. That the gambling dens and the houses of prostitution, pornography, alcoholism, it all went away because everybody got saved. How did that happen? They gave the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the offensive weapon. That's how we take the offensive is sharing the gospel with people. Helping them find relationship with Jesus. One of the, one of the interesting parts of the Welsh Revival is they had um, they had a police department and there wasn't any crime. And so they said, uh, so what do you guys do? What, do? what do the police do now that there's no crime? Because there just wasn't any crime because everybody was righteous and holy before God. Everybody's going to church. He said, well, uh, as, as police department, we're supposed to go where the crowds are. So, so and all the crowds are at church. And so we, we formed gospel quartets and we go and sing at church. Serious. That's what happened. That's what the Welsh Revival produced. Singing police quartets there because there was nothing else to do. There was no crime. That happens when revival comes, when the gospel of Jesus Christ is shared and people come to faith. Revival. We think about all the issues that we have here in America. We think of like sex trafficking and trafficking of children. We think of Eastern Europe, Asia, and India and Thailand. But studies have shown that the the place where it's most prevalent is the United States of America. It's, It's absolutely frightening. The largest and richest market is fed by pornography and child porn. And it's in every community in America. Every community in America. Underage sex trafficking is especially prevalent in our public schools, even junior high schools. Teachers are receiving training on how to spot sex trafficking in their schools. Now, is the answer law enforcement? Yes, we must have law enforcement. But the real answer lies in the gospel of Jesus Christ, taking hold of the lives of people who are in need of life change and righteousness of Jesus and holy living. It's battle in the spiritual realm. That's why Jesus is the answer, not government, not government. Fourth is a, the, the, the faith shield. The shield is faith. Take up the shield of faith. It's an action we take again. The shield is faith. Why is faith so powerful? Flaming arrows come at us all the time. You get tempted. You get challenged. You get, there, are, there are issues all the time that you're going to be faced with out there in the world. Why is faith so powerful? Because instead of looking at the flaming arrows, looking at the enemy, looking at our own ability to fight, we look at God. God is looking at God. That's faith. Looking at God. He's our defender. When Jehoshaphat, the king of Israel, or Judah, was surrounded by enemies, he said this. He said to God, I don't know what to do, so my eyes are on you. I don't know what to do, so my eyes are on you. When, when you come against a flaming arrow or you have an issue that you can't deal with, it's too difficult, just say to God, I don't know what to do, so my eyes are on you. I say that often. My eyes are on you. That's faith. The shield is faith. Now, the, the function of faith, faith will extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. I'll never forget, one of my, one of my favorite movies is The Gladiator. Gladiator. And one of the most memorable scenes was the opening battle scene where the archers dipped their arrows in a flaming trench. There's this flaming trench that started. They dipped their arrows in it, lit them on fire, lifted them up, and pew. It was spectacular. You can imagine the fear. And, and I can imagine flaming arrows coming our way. And I can also picture a supernatural shield of faith, a vapor barrier. That as the arrows come down towards us, these flaming arrows, it passes through that and they are extinguished just like that. No harm. No harm. The flaming arrows go. You look to God in faith. He, will ex- he says he'll extinguish those flaming arrows. And there'll be no harm. It doesn't say you won't get any arrows shot at you. It says I will not let them harm you. It's a shield of faith. It's faith. How many times has Satan tried to set your life on fire? <laughs> Probably a lot of times. Take up the shield of faith. Let her read. the other part is a sh- the helmet of salvation. Salvation. He says, take it, receive it. This has to do with certainty of relationship with God through Jesus. Without salvation and the assurance that we have salvation, we cannot stand before our enemy. If I ask you a question, if you died tonight... Do you know for sure that you go to heaven? If you died tonight, do you know for sure that you go to heaven? Is it, I hope so, or I I think so? Or suppose you did die tonight and stood before God and He said, asked you, why should I let you in my heaven? What would you say? Classic questions. Why should I let you in my heaven? What would you say? Do you know, do you know that you have salvation? You know, you can know. We're not like these other faiths or these other religions that aren't sure and they keep working and try to please and appease their God. We can know. First John 5, 11 to 13 says, And this is the testimony God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son, it's in Jesus. He who has the Son, Jesus, has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know. So you may know. So you can know that you have eternal life. That's a helmet. Protect everything. Salvation. Certainty. Saved from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, the presence of sin, past, present, and future. And we can know that we have Eternal life. Letter F, the weapon, the word of God. This is our sword. We begin with truth and we end with truth. Another offensive weapon. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. How well do you know the word, the word of God. How well do you know it? It's a weapon. Second 2 Timothy 2.15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who accurately handles the word of truth. How do you handle the word of truth? Do you know the truth? Second Timothy 3.16-17. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We got the weapons. Got the weapons. The Word of God. It's the Bible. And by the way, if you don't have one, you want one, there's some back there that you can take for free. The Bible. And the final weapon, G, is prayer. Prayer. Verse 18, it says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. I included I think it's on the PowerPoint, Second Corinthians 10: three to five, from the New Living Translation. It says, "We are human, but we don't wage war with human plans and methods. We use God's mighty weapons, not mere worldly weapons, to knock down the devil's strongholds. With these weapons, we break down every proud argument that keeps people from knowing God. With these weapons, we conquer their rebellious ideas and teach them to obey Christ. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 5. That's the war we're equipped. We just need to appropriate those gifts. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. That you, by your grace, have given us all that we need to fight the battles. And I pray, Lord, today that you would speak to each and every one of us. And somebody's here that does not know you, that they would be able to give their heart to you today. So they can know that they have that helmet of salvation. That we would not compromise on truth. That we would continue to move forward in truth. And God, we thank you that in all of this, We are more than conquerors because of what you've done in each and every one of us. And we praise you and worship you in Jesus' name. Let's stand, Joey.